Your professional life is sometimes so ingrained in the way in which you view the world, you have to remind yourself that not everyone is up to speed on the things that you may consider elementary. So for me, that's the London food scene. But something that has changed the way in which we all view the world is social media. When it comes to food, it normally means that pizza you're eyeing up, or the restaurant that looks perfect for date night. Kaya Shing, or KS8 here, is the person whose photos you would have been saving, sharing, and commenting on over the last decade. And his influence in shaping the London food scene is undeniable. His intentions are still as pure as when he uploaded his first photo. Most people eat three meals a day. I just choose mine wisely and share them on Instagram, he says with a smile. His knowledge of the food industry extends beyond just posting photos though. Working in his Paris restaurant most of his formative years before moving to London to work in the financial sector. In our conversation, we talk about the societal changes in the ways in which we can now enjoy food since the rise of social media and how it's been a major driving force in shaping the landscape of the London that we know and love today. Can we sit down? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I really appreciate you coming down today, by the way, as well. I just wanted to see you. I know. Honestly, I just wanted to see you. I mean, so, like, I can't, I can't describe how excited I have been to like see you. And like yesterday, I was, like I said, I was looking, I was looking down like the feed and your feed, yeah. which took an absolute lifetime to be able to get to the bottom <laughs> and stuff like that. But being able to just, you know, it was a real trip down memory lane in a lot of respects. Yeah. And how for me. Um, the food in London has developed and changed and evolved and um, how it's gone through so many like street food elements and pop-ups and all of that kind of thing to you know now like the QSR model being like really powerful and quick service restaurants just popping up everywhere and people being very comfortable with that and understanding it and all of those things so yeah I just that was that was pretty 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 amazing really yeah. I reckon with the last, I reckon the last 12, 13 years, we've seen the London food scene really grow up. I mean, and people really just starting to take an interest in it, to be honest. I think before then, I mean, the UK food scene has always had a bad rap. I'm not very particularly inspirational. Um, you always had, you know, you always had the Parises of the world doing their French cuisine. Then you had the New Yorks of the world where like, you know, they, that was really where the epicenter was. But probably around, I want to say around 2000 and 2009, 2010, that's when London really first started making noise. Mm. Funnily enough, I mean, maybe I was part of that early wave, but there was some cool stuff happening in London. You know, like, you know, from the, the street feasts of the world, like back in Haggerston, where like they were literally just like, you know, they found a car park and they like threw up some, they threw up a couple of gazebos and people started serving food out of it. So things like Broccoli Market, you know, where like, you know, you had local markets, but then like when you went to them, they weren't produce-led. Like you had people like, you know, Little Beak, or like, you know, you had, back then it was like Mike and Ollie's mm. doing their wraps. You had Tongue in Cheek doing their burgers. You had Mother Flipper doing their burgers. And you went to these markets and you came away and you were like, holy smokes, people on the streets of London were doing some really amazing things. Completely. And then you had like, you know, the people, in restaurants who were really like getting re really quite getting inspired you know people who were coming from overseas who came into london who were like you know what there's a real population here of of people who were foodies who didn't even know they were mm. who were underserviced and then as soon as people started doing something exciting 
people flocked to it. And then once that started happening, I think like you got this like real momentum and it's just developed into like, you know, the 2022 we see now, where actually like food has become not just an integral part of our lives, but really for some people it has become their lives. It's become a lifestyle. And I think that's been really, um, really interesting to see. I was thinking back and, you know, you, you go back to like 2010. 2010, Deshume opened. Yeah. We then had a couple of years later when Smoking Goat opened. And I even think back to the day now and like we talk about street food and, you know, the multiculturalism of London, but also people experiencing food in other places and then bringing that palette to, to us. We think of Somsar, like I remember Somsar. I remember going to Clemson's Arch and the Guardian had never done a review of a pop-up before. And they were like, oh, a pop-up is this thing that like people are hosting in their kitchens. Do you yeah. remember like people were hosting food at their kitchens and some of that? That was a real vibe, right? <laughs> yeah. And then there was this kind of thing. And then they were like, okay, so what's, what is this new, what's this new wave? Yeah. And we now have Somsar, which is still for me, one of the most flavor packed restaurants that's going on. And that was it, that was a great experience. So. You are right. I think there was a lot of deprivation within food within London and stuff yeah. like that in some respects. And like, I think it was. I think it was. I think people underestimated the British palate. And I think you know, for a long time, you know, it was salt and pepper, roast, and whatever. But then, as soon as someone started doing something a bit different um, and started bringing spice in, something a little bit more punchy, you know, as, as soon as it became quite um, clear that people were really craving that, that's when people were more willing to take a chance, you know? And now like, you know, you get these like hyper-regional sort of cuisines of, you know, that there are some flavor profiles that are just really unusual, but people are, are, people are willing to take that chance because they know that like, you know, here you've got quite a sophisticated population of people who are actually willing to try that. And I think the thing is you have to understand is that like, and stuff like that works in place like London, because you've got 10 million people. All you need is 1% of the population to like what you're doing. And you're doing something that's financially extremely viable. Mm. So I think that's why, like, you know, you, 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 you tested in London, like Dishoom did, you know, with their sort of like, you know, they were QSR Indian before, you know, QSR was a thing, really. They, 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 they made it in London, and now they're in Manchester, now they're in Birmingham. They're using the model that they built in London and taking it out to the regions. And I think, and, but then, you know, you think about that. Birmingham and Manchester, you know, you've got the, I mean, Hawksmoor now are up there now, but they really, they spent a good amount of time in London before they started looking out. So it's, a, it's an interesting journey for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I guess for me, you, you just referred back to, you know, you remember going to a couple of these like pop-up kitchen style events and things like that. When you started your your blog, your Instagram, your feed, what did London smell like? What did it taste like? What did it feel like in that oh, kind man. of food point at that moment for you? Yeah, a lot of roast. Yeah, I'd say yeah, a lot of roast. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. We love a roast, yeah, man. Yeah, we do, we do. <laughs> I would say, you know, Brooklyn, I mean, there were, I remember, back then going to going to sort of you know trying to find a place to go out for dinner and I think like you know like I think for me Aladdin in Brick Lane was a real like was a real sort of go-to it was at the time when like I wasn't as probably wasn't as uh, ingrained in the food industry as I am now but really it was probably it was like the consistent place that I went to that always had like good vibe and always had a flavor profile that I really liked I mean this was at a time when you know Brick Lane was 
I mean, even now, like, Brick Lane can be hit or miss sort of type of thing. But, you know, for me, that was, like, quite consistent. And obviously, like, you know, you had the Tyabs of the world, you had the Lahore Kebab houses. But for me, that was very much where I went to get my sort of spice hit, right? Like, you know, a little flavour hit. But, I mean, I can't even imagine the last time I went back to those places now because the availability of it is so much more now and always growing. Like, you know, like, there are places opening up all the time that are doing more and more interesting things sort of thing. So I suppose, you know, when I first started 10 years ago, you know, that was kind of it. But then like, you know, I remember still going to like my very first supper club, like, which is um, Backdoor, the Backdoor Supper Club. And they were doing, or they were like, you know, three, three lads who did um, Italian cuisine. The most memorable one that I went to was a Sardinian one that I went to. That was just incredible. I mean, this was at a time when like, you know, a supper club cost like 30 or 40 quid. You know, so I think. <laughs> good, luck, good luck trying to find one of those now. But it was like 30, 40 quid for like, must have been like, you know, I, I, I might have romanticized this in my head now, but it felt like eight courses or whatever the hell it was. It was probably only like three, but it was three like massive courses, whatever. It's like lobster, it was like pork belly. It was like, you know, these little like small eats. Then they had like the seafood course. And it was like, I was just like, like I remember coming up from that being like, these guys are making no money from this. <laughs> What is going on? But it was literally, it was in their flat, their two-bedroom flat, in a council estate in Bermondsey, and you literally had to come in through the back door because the front door was in, through like some like gate, and you're just like, and walked in being like, where the hell am I? Yeah. But it was such a vibe. Thirteen of us sat around this table that was only meant for six, in their <laughs> kitchen. It was just, it was, it was. Beautiful. It was beautiful. Did you have matching crockery? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Can you imagine like a tea cup? I think we had to go and wash our dishes for the next course. <laughs> but it was, so, and I you know what? That. And funnily enough, like, you know where I found them? I found them off Twitter. Yeah. It was back then, I was like, back yeah. then, it was like literally to be keyed in to the London food scene. Yeah. It was Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you obviously you had like, you know, you had the blogs. Back then, blog was a big thing. So, like, you know, people like Rocket and Squash, people like uh, yeah. Samfire, Salsafire, stuff like that. And, like, even, like, hot dinners before they took it, um, yeah. before they took it professional. These were people who were out there finding these things, right? And, like, you know, you sign up to the newsletters, you, um, you go on Twitter, people were announcing stuff on Twitter, sharing their experiences live on Twitter. And I think that's kind of, that was like sort of the most natural place, but also at the time, and that was probably the only avenue that people had. Yeah. That was 2010, then like 2012, 2013 came along. Then Instagram came. <laughs> fucking Instagram came. <laughs> and then once Instagram came and people realized, you know, especially like people for, especially when it came to food, where everything is so visual and everything is so, um, you have to see it to really communicate it. Yeah. That became the most natural platform for people to sort of share their experiences and to really uh, promote their food. Uh, and fast forward 10 years and here we are, effectively, you know, Instagram is the platform that we have at the moment to really advertise what people do and also really to find out where to go and what to do. And to see that take shape over the last 10, 12 years has really been a real joy it's like it really is like watching a child grow up sort of type thing yeah no really it's like it's a sort of con i mean and this is coming from a father of two <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? like it really is like it feels like you've sort of seen it really mature and it's like 
And like you say, like maybe that's something that I should do, like go back past the feed. Not that I have the thing. <laughs> I don't have the time. I don't know how you did it. I feel sorry that you right. did. It took a while. Honestly, took I, can a while. <laughs> I can imagine so much rubbish. But uh, it really is one of those where it's like, you know, just to go back and like take a trip down memory lanes at a time. Yeah. I'll tell you what I did. I did do that once. Uh, I did do that recently. Um, a dear friend uh, called uh, Wilkes. I don't know if you know Wilkes. If yeah. you remember Wilkes. I was like, at his funeral. So was I. It was, uh, the guy was a legend. Like, I mean, all this video stuff, you know, with the rise of TikTok, with the rise of... Um, you know, reels and all that sort of stuff. Wilkes was doing this like six years ago, six, seven years ago. I mean, he was just ahead of his game and like, he was such a loss to the community and like, you know, just the, the brightest human being. It was the anniversary of his passing um, in February. And I went back through his feed and it was like a time capsule. I mean, it was, and, and just going through his, it was just like, I can't believe where we are like now compared to back then. It was just a, it was a reminder of the journey that we've all been on. That, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you can't see the forest from the trees. But when you take a step back and be like, look at where we are now. Even walking around Camden today, I mean, the development from when I first set foot in Camden to where it is now, it's almost unrecognisable. It's unrecognisable. Um, yeah, it's, it's really strange. I was thinking last night, you know what, I was uh, to bring up Wilkes or not in this in, the, in this conversation and stuff like that because and he was one of my first experiences yeah. within <laughs> within it and do you know what he he basically it was at a street feast event yeah I think I'd met him once before or something like that very brief encounter and then we saw each other again and he had a smokesback bun in his yeah. mouth and he just he just went like sorry yeah. just went like that and put it in my mouth and he was like you got to try this I and I was like yeah, cool. And like, then we just chilled, chatted, and he was there with his big SLR camera. Yeah. And he had his like watch on, which he'd be calorie counting, <laughs> yeah. making sure of like knowing what was going on and stuff like that. And he just, any food, he was just there and at the things. Yeah. And he was just like, and it was, it was, it was amazing. And he was ahead of his game in what the content and what he was Correct. delivering and things like that. There just wasn't a platform for him to put it on in that kind of respect. So he was doing it in his yeah. own way, but. Or people just didn't appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I think like, but then he did these like amazing things. Like I remember one thing he did, which was like a time-lapse of him sitting on top of a double-decker bus over Tower Bridge. And at that, even at that time, I was like, holy smokes, this is so engaging. But back then, video wasn't a thing. No. And that's what I mean by him being ahead of his time. But nowadays, you can't survive without video. Yeah. So it's almost like it's taken London like five, six years to catch up catch with terms of them. It's so weird because those are the kind of things which I was thinking about as well, you know, the hot dinners kind of situation. And Twitter was, was, was so prolific at that particular point. Like, I remember when Bill or Beak first joined Curb and you got on it, you know, we got X amount of followers in a very short period of time. And you'd be like retweeting that you're on York Way and like what the thing was, and there'd be like there'd be like 150 retweets or something like that of of like what's going on and stuff like that. And it was like there was such a you said London didn't realise that they were foodies until yeah. they were given the were given medium the to be able to do right. it. Yeah. And then everyone just flooded and flocked and wanted to be part of it and stuff like that. But also it's funny because it's like I think social media it brings like-minded people together. Mm. So I think there were always foodies in London, but you just didn't know or you couldn't connect with them mm. in a readily accessible way. So I think what 
Twitter was amazing for was it brought a community together. So then like, you know, someone would be tweeting about this and then you look at Twitter and you'd be like, hey mate, I'm here too. And then that's when like you start meeting up or you start organizing to congregate together. I remember, you know, back in the day, there was like a, a little community called um, the Burger Away Day Club, you know, BAD, we call them BAD. And it was like, organized by like the most amazing uh, lady called Camilla, who's still one of my favorite people in this world. But she's like, she, she was like, hey, this meet, I'm, I'm gonna be here for a burger. Who else wants to come? And then you just end up going. And I'll tell you what, it was like, the first one I went to was um, Elliot's in Borough Market. But I think the first one they ever did was like, you know, at Carl Clark's pop-up um, above, um, above the pub. And, you know, we all know Carl Clark back then was, you know, an enigma. And now he's like one of the most respected chefs in London. And I mean, you just, just sort of, again, to sort of see that journey, you're just a bit like, man, it was like very humble beginnings where it was just a community of people who just liked food, who just had a way to just find each other. It was nice. <laughs> so when you started your Instagram, yeah. did you have any idea of like what it was that you were creating, what you were doing? Like what, what, what was it for you when you were like, oh, I'm going to start this and this is what it is. Like in your mind, like what, what, what was it that you were doing? I said, well, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> I mean, we're you all know, faking it till we make it, mate, man. You know, man, and some of us are still faking it even if you don't make it. Sort of but I swear to God, like, you, I mean, look at like, you know, the first I mean, you'd know, the first, photo, the first photo I ever posted was of some like, it was a horrific photo of some like Christmas afternoon tea that I just happened to be at with my wife. It was at the library lounge looking out, you know, over um, Westminster Bridge sort of type thing. I was like, oh, okay. And that was when like, I was literally, I'll tell you how it started. I was having afternoon tea with her. It was like a Christmas thing, right? You know, like a nice little like date thing to do. Really nice. She was like, <laughs> yeah. And then like, she spent a whole time on her phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, mate, I'm right here, enjoying this moment. And she was like, oh no, I'm just putting it on Instagram. And I was like, what the fuck is Instagram? I was like, what is Instagram? Wow. And she showed me, she was like, look, like, look at this. Like, I, she took a photo, posted it on Instagram. And then I was like, well, sh shit, fine. If you're gonna be ignoring me, I'll do that. So that's the photo that you see, is that me posting this like terrible Christmas cookie with the background of um, Big Ben and Westminster Bridge. And then that was it. I didn't know what I was doing. I decided to use the Mayfair filter because, you know, apparently it was nice, why not? Mayfair sounded classy. And then now, but you see like from that journey to like where we are now, it's just like that development has been crazy. But I mean, to be honest with you, like the intentions were pure, all right? It was just like, you know, when, even, it was like when I went to Twitter, it was almost like, it felt like an extension of just what I was doing on Twitter. Like, you know, it was like, look, I'm sharing photos. It's a photo sharing platform. Feels like that makes sense. And that's kind of where it started. And then it was also like, you know, Instagram had this like lovely maps function once upon a time. So for me, it was like, well, it's a way for me to record where I've been. But like, you know, just, you know, it's, it's like a visual, diary for example let's call it a diary you know it was almost just like a, a, a reminder for me of where i've been and then because there was a map function with a picture attached to it it was also a reminder of what i had there so then like when friends came up to me they would be like hey i'm in soho where should i go I'm like, look just click on instagram look at my map where are you in relation to the map have a look and then you'll see the dish that i had 
And then so when you go in there, at least straight away, you know that like, you know, if you, and I wrote, just wrote in captions, had this, had this, had this, was really nice. So then when people went in, it was just be like, well, it was just like in a way, it was like a, um, it was a way for me to recommend to friends without having to talk to them because I've got terrible memory. And also I don't want to talk to my friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't talk to me, don't bother me. No, so it was just like, it was, and then I think, but then funnily enough, like, you know, as that grew, I did it for friends. Then like friends would tell their friends to follow me for recommendations. And then one thing led to another. And then I just kind of just, kind of just grew from there. Yeah, and then I suppose that that's kind of where we got to today. It became um, a real moment where I was like, oh wow, like there's a bit of a, there is a, a responsibility here to like a, a wider audience to be like, people are spending their hard earned money on places that I'm recommending. Wow, okay. And so it's a bit like, well, I've got to make sure that, you know, I, I, I treat them right and make sure that, you know, you treat everyone like a friend, irrespective of whether you know them or not, sort of type thing. I've never put my face up on social media just because like for me like it's not about me it's about the food right it's always been about the food because at the time there weren't many things going on like so like you found that like you know the the people who you meet you meet a lot because you're kind of all at the same things and like you know even things like you know going to um, street feast or whatnot and then uh, having people come up to you and being like hey how are you going and like talking like they know you when like you kind of don't because they just follow you on your account so it's I mean it's one of those things but of course like it makes sense because I'm tweeting that I'm there and if people are following me or if, if I'm telling telling showing people that I'm there and then I end up being there and people come because I'm there or because they, they know of it because I'm there then we're gonna cross paths. Yeah. And then some of those people now become friends. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, become yeah. actual friends. So like, you know, it's just one of those it's been like it's nice. It's been nice to be able to be part of this community, but also be able to develop the community. Yeah. You know, I just think it's it's really wonderful. And then, you know, then you meet like, you know, I've always taken a great interest in people and then you I mean I work I usually work I'm I'm a city boy by day, but I think like being as being part of this has opened up a whole new community and whole new different people for me to meet yeah um i was thinking i was thinking so well the first time we actually ever properly met yeah. was um i launched turntables yeah remember turntables with so, the cheese truck with the cheese trucks <laughs> in, that, yeah? in, so, in stratford when there was nothing in stratford no. so so basically like this so i'd i'd moved i'd moved to london yeah I'd, i had three thousand pounds in my bank yeah to start Bill Peak. I came with a Twitter handle, I remember. Yeah. And uh, we got into Curb and it was amazing and we were doing these events. And then it like got to September and it was like, yeah, so basically everything closes now. <laughs> and like, I was like, right, okay, so I need to pay rent <laughs> and I don't have any money. Um, and I'm not in street fees, so I'm not doing Hawker House or yeah, any right. of that through the winter. So well, what do we do? Yeah. And I was like, it didn't cross my mind like, oh, you get a job or something like that. I'd worked in hospitality my whole life up until that point. So I was like, um, I was like, I need to sell more burgers, man. Yeah. So how do we sell more burgers? And I was like, well, let's start something and where I can sell my burgers. Yeah. So like, it was at Hackney Wick. It was. On a derelict piece of land next to Bar 90 on the other side of the bridge. And we got a stretch tent and we got some fire and we lit some things and we put up some stuff. And we were like, right, we need people to learn about this. And we, you, you were basically, you were our press. And we invited you down. And yeah. I can remember we spoke and you came down. And then turntables actually 
then turned into like one of the top things to do in London for yeah, time out. And it was an amazing, amazing thing, like doing that pop up and stuff like that. And like, that was a big learning curve. But like, that's what we, like, when we talk about what was going on within food in London at that particular point, like, there was this movement and it like was. people were so happy to be part of it, but there actually wasn't pla like, there weren't places for people to be able to do it or no. be able, and like, yeah, so so for me it was like, you know, that was also, and I can remember you had like 4,000 followers yeah, at the I time. I, I remember like talking to, I remember talking to Lucy <laughs> and Lucy, bless her, being like, oh, you've got so many followers. And I was like, no, I, I really don't Lucy, but bless you, you're so sweet. <laughs> It's just like it was hilarious but i do i remember that i remember that so well like i like it was just a real vibe but it was just so hidden and like th these days i know i think something like that if you could do it now would still stand the test of time i mean i think it, it, and i think that was to your credit that's the foresight but i think at the time back then it was just hard to find these things like or it weren't it wasn't hard if yeah. you knew where you were looking no but you need to know where you were looking these things that were there if you found them if you happened upon them, it was amazing. Yeah. But then you know the the, the, the then like the curbs came along, and then uh, the street feasters came along, who started being I call them conglomerates because sure. they kind of really started banding people together to create a product, right? And the product was street food, a street food market, and like you know, and I remember really it was like street feast Dalston and probably like curbed king's cross sort of type thing yeah where like these became events yeah well and like the south bank at curb when south they first did the yeah. south bank at Correct. curb and stuff like that as Correct. well and like they really like started like bringing people or like red market yeah right, you know and yeah um, yeah, in yeah. Shortage. well yeah <laughs> you remember there you go see, see, i've been around <laughs> see so then like people like then knew that these were semi-permanent spots that weren't now like the traveling circus. So you couldn't, you knew that you could be like, oh, you know what? If I went to Dalston Junction um, every Friday and Saturday, then I know that Street Feast is going to be on. Yeah. And it's a vibe. And for you, would you say that the transformation of the product, as you put it, has there been some negative connotations within that? Like, or do you, th and I'm, I'm intrigued, where do we go from here? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, I don't, I mean, for me, I think progress is never a bad thing. But I think it is like, I think back to those times and I do, I do miss, I miss the innocence. You know what I mean? I miss, I, I really do miss like, like I said, I remember the first time I tried your food was at Broccoli Market. And that's why I still go back to Broccoli Market. I love what Toby's done there. I yeah. just, because for me, like that is still that little time capsule. So I don't know, I think um, now, that, now that it's become a lot more uh, accessible for so many people, mm. And social media was a big part of that yeah. to make everything so much more accessible in terms of information in terms of things to do there's no stopping this train now there's been a lot more opportunities which have opened back up in terms of yeah. unfortunately businesses have come and gone you have like you know big chains like the big middle market is all sort of dying away you've got the qsr model which is coming and people and like again i mean that's kind of the change in people's attitude and the change in people's behavior yeah. And I think that's like, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that starts to affect the, the, the way that things are now set up, right? You know, now, especially nowadays, I think the, 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 the focus on suppliers and the focus on sourcing is really changing. I mean, especially with the whole sort of climate change conversation going on. I think that's probably where we're going to see the next iteration. Yes. Is that people are going to be eating a lot more quality over quantity. 
I mean, the days of like, you know, a one pound chicken from Tesco is... It's gone, think, right? It, well, it's not, there, there's, there's, there's always going to be a, again, it's going to be a critical mass, given economic constraints. There are going to be people who are always going to be, there's always going to be a market for everything. But what we're hopefully going to is higher welfare, better quality meat and stuff the prices start to come down on that mm. so then like what what that basically means is that like you know you, the, the, the average quality of stuff that you're seeing starts to increase and it becomes more sustainable yeah. and that's what I hope is the next iteration of what we're saying. I was thinking you know the QSR model is basically Dolson Hawker House right yeah. or like that, like that, 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 with, that. with an iPad with an iPad right <laughs> basically like yeah. that's that with an iPad yeah like you don't even have people serving you, don't you, even have people <laughs> like you go in no, and you like see a photo and you're like bop 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 you know seriously like one of my uh, one of my really good friends John and Yee at Dumpling Shack I yeah. mean they, I, they, yeah. they have it at they have it at Spitterfield and I remember like you know back in the day we were talking about it and they, and they were like little Cushing what do you think about this and then I was a bit like holy smokes why why have we not thought about this to begin with <laughs> I mean it's almost like bringing it's basically just what you do on Deliveroo just doing it live sort of type thing and like you know you look at like you know people like KFC and McDonald's are just like rolling it out like there's no tomorrow but part of that is also, you know, you know, obviously you save on staff costs by not having people at counters like um, having to take your order. But also it gives people that flexibility to just be like, you know what, you just walk on in, tap, 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 and then you have what, exactly what you want. It's funny because, like you said, like that was always the street food takeaway model anyway. But now it's like, you know, that's become like people are bringing that into like a more polished commercial corporate environment. Yeah. And it's become accepted. Yeah. That is nice because it's, causing more and more of a di distinction between what is seen as um, you know, fast food, quick food, mm. versus stuff that's actually quality, mm. right? Because you know, like when people, I don't know, like when, when people go out to a restaurant now, the sort of perceptions and the expectations have changed because, because there is this, almost like this, like this more clear divide sort of type thing. So I think there's probably more pressure to for food operators to really find where they add value. Yeah. So like for you, for example, like, you know, when you, when people walk up to Billabeek or walk up to Inc and then they actually order food now, there's that expectation that they're even, no matter how small, you have to provide a, some sort of customer service, whether it be a smile, whether it be like, you know, a bit of handshake or even a little bit of knowledge about the food. Yeah. You know, I think that people crave that. I was thinking of the rise of like Elan Cafe yeah, right. with like how like they made it like they were doing Avalon toast right yeah. it's like brunch but they create this model in which like people flocked not only from London but from around the world yeah. to be able to have a photo in the restaurant with the rose wall and everything like that like and then you think of sketch sketch of now just it's an art gallery that serves great, great. food right it's like how social media and the experience of life has driven the direction of how food is delivered to people or how, how that's all encapsulated. I think it's like, it, yeah, I think what people understood then was that, like I said, it was like that food or going out for a meal was no longer just a, a means to an end, it was a lifestyle. Then you, know, you get like the lifestyle, like you see, like the likes of like Elan Cafe and Sketch, which became like, you know, people would f go there because they just wanted to be seen there. You, know, you look at you know, the, 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 the pod toilets and like the pink room, which is now a gold room sort of type thing. Like all these things, it's like, it was a theater. It was a theater of it, sort of. You know, and like even like Elan Cafe, like Elan Cafe, like they weren't doing anything more than 
just making everything pink and putting a flower wall, but then like people just wanted to be seen there. And that's really come about, I want to say that's come about like probably the last like six or seven years, where like, you know, it was like, you know, people would start going to restaurants just because, well, let's be honest, like there were always hot restaurants, right? There were always hot restaurants. People would always be like, you know, the ones that celebrities go to, the ones that, oh, I've got to, you've got to be, if you're not there, you're not seen sort of type thing. But I think that like now, those restaurants used to always feel unattainable, mm. right? Whereas like, you know, they were reserved for like, you know, the, the celebrities of the world or whatnot, or like, you know, they were too expensive, like, so you were priced out of them. Where like now, like those experiences are accessible to people who, who, who demand them and who want them. And I think that's been, again, that's been like a real transition where like people, people treat the whole food thing, the whole sort of restaurant experience as now like a real lifestyle. Mm. One of the other conversations that I wanted to be able to have was the pandemic was a crazy time yeah. and everything shut and like your, your expression of who you are is via sharing food with the world. Yeah. And that was taken away. How did you find then communicating your love, your passion, yourself in, in, in that space? How did you then communicate with social media in a different way? Yeah, that was, that, was a, that was an interesting one. My love of food extends beyond like restaurants. Like it was, I started cooking and like, you know, started, it was, you know, in a way, like it was nice because it sort of allowed me to reconnect with that. And then obviously then like there was a rise of the meal kits. Like, you know, once restaurants started understanding what they needed to do to survive, then they knew that they were like, well, if we, people can't come to us, we've got to come to people. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, amazing companies like On The Table started coming up who were doing these amazing meal kits, working with artisan sort of suppliers and whatnot, who sort of brought um, the best of London to you, which is lovely, which is fantastic. And like, all you got to do is like, you know, follow instructions and then like you could create something that was really quite special for you. So I think during that time, I kind of wanted to, during the pandemic, I sort of rediscovered my love of cooking and sort of um, communicating my passion that way. It wasn't anything that was going to be as polished as in a restaurant, but at least it was something that was an expression of myself, yeah. something, which actually felt a lot more personal. But then it was also then using, um, understanding sort of your place in the community and trying to use my um, audience or whatever sort of clout that I have in order to support those who really needed it. So like, you know, I probably cooked more meal kits than anyone in London <laughs> over the pandemic. And to be honest with you, a lot of the times, like, you know, people probably got sick of seeing it. But for me, it was all about just being like, making people aware of what was available. Yeah. And like, you know, if it meant, and actually showing them, um, showing people, how easy or bad, like if someone like if someone like me can pull it together and it looks like this, then honestly for you, it, then it could anyone can do it, sort of type of thing. So I think over the pandemic, that was like that was kind of what kept me busy, but it was also really nice to actually continue to connect with people because there were like you know let's be honest, like the pandemic when everyone was isolating and whatnot, like it was like a time when you did probably feel a little bit disconnected from everything and like your world was very was very small. Mm. Yeah, it was always a nice way to just sort of keep in touch with everyone. It was nice. Uh, in, in that respect, it was really nice. <laughs> I think um, you are honestly, what, and I truly mean this, I'm not just saying this, one of the most genuine, lovely, and open, <laughs> and um, engaged people I know within my whole entire life. And 
I can't even begin to imagine the amount of messages in which you get like coming through and stuff like that. And you're always there to give support, knowledge, guidance, reassurance, all of those things. So to hear like, you know, people were messaging and things like that through that time and you were still, still there doing that. It's really, really nice to hear, man. And I think like these are really interesting things. Oh, oh look oh, at this. Sorry there for you go. No, look this that. looks amazing. Thank you so much. That's what so I'm talking nice. about. That looks great, Chef. Thanks, Chef. <laughs> piece of chicken as everything cool. Yeah, I'm Thank so excited about this. Thank you so much. No, no worries. Thanks, Chef. Is it possible to grab some napkins as yeah, well, Chef? Yeah, Thank you so much. Looks amazing, Chef. Good, yeah. Look at that. Now this is a burger. <laughs> That's a burger. Look at that. <laughs> You remember your um? You remember the Szechuan burger? Szechuan burger was amazing. Oh, fuck, that was good. That so was so never, that, that green sauce. Oh my god. It was unreal. So I'll never forget. So the Szechuan burger. So it was that came about. So we got um, put into National Burger Day, Street Feast, Hawker House, Canada Water, and I was so honoured. Like honestly, because it was like you know, you know those are like the bleakers of the world mm. and things like that. Like that was that was a real real big thing. The honest everything. And we went with the chicken burger, bro. We were the only people to ever, we were the first people to go to National Burger Day with a chicken with burger. chicken burger. I and I was that. like, if you're gonna do a chicken burger, you gotta do it right. Right. I think actually like Biddle Beak, in my recipe cupboard, in my Google Drive, I've got some fucking bangers, man. Mm. And I, it, would be like, it would be lovely to be able to facilitate a space to be able to bring all of those like together and have, a, have an opportunity for it. But it's about finding the right thing for, for me to be able to do that. Um, you also have to want it. And I think, I won't beat around the bush, hospitality is a hard industry. It's hard. It's really tough, really, hard. really tough. And it can it, destroy it, you. It can destroy you. And I've been doing it since I was 19. Yeah. And I really like my knees and I like my back. And um, also managing people constantly. I think hospitality in this country still isn't viewed as a profession. I get you. Um, I think maybe the change is, is occurring. I think there might be things. It's a transitional thing for people. And you put your heart and soul into something and maybe a majority of the workforce or things like that, especially in like street food kind of element, they don't care for you, for, yeah, for the dream, for everything like that. It's very difficult to stay motivated and to motivate the unmotivated in that kind of respect. So yeah. So your love and drive and passion for food, obviously, came from your parents had a restaurant they did they did so my um <clears throat> just funnily enough closing after 42 years oh wow yeah, I know. yeah so 1980 was when it opened and uh 27th of march 2022 which is really weird that this music's playing right now <laughs> it's like didn't plan it i promise to god <laughs> but it was like yeah it was uh, so that's um so yeah so 42 years 42 years young it's gone Unfortunately, it was a pandemic thing. Uh, just, the, oh, really? I think the release is just not being renewed now. I think it's going to be redeveloped. Um, but yeah, I mean, those amazing memories. I mean, it just kind of made me who I am today um, in terms of having that sort of tenacity, not being afraid to work hard, seeing my mother um, and the sort of struggles, the highs and the lows that she went through. Made me realize that actually, you know, that a lot of times you only get as much as you put back in sort of something. And like, you know, having that having that sort of like um, pressure of being like, you know, being part of that family business that is like, look, you know, whether we make it or break it, it's up to us. And I think that's the sort of biggest lessons that I sort of learned from that. But also, you know, the respect that I have for people who work within the industry, because like, you know, all the things that you say now about, um, 
you know, it being such a hard career, I totally get because, you know, in a way, I kind of had a, before I was an accountant, I was in hospitality, you know, like, you know, I, was, I worked in it from when I was like four all the way up to when I was like 20, 21, 22. So I sort of get where you're, I sort of get where you're coming from and it's just, it's not easy. It, it really isn't easy and it is one of those things where if you don't, if you're not in it and you don't truly believe it, and you don't love it, it's very hard to get motivated. So, you know, it was like, it taught me a lot of, a lot of life lessons. It taught me that I never wanted to own a restaurant. <laughs> I love the honesty. That's how, I love it. That's how we roll. <laughs> I love it. But it also, yeah. and part of me was also like, you know, I really, I didn't really know if I really wanted to have anything to do with food. But obviously things come full circle. And, you know, now like I found sort of like, I mean, I've been so privileged and so honored to have found this little niche within the sort of food community where I'm in it and I can provide advice and provide insight which hopefully comes from a place of a, a good place and a place of some knowledge because I've sort of been there before and I can help others I can provide advice and sort of support for those who are on that journey without having to be in it myself like in all honesty seeing you and Lucy grow into who you are today I feel like I've been part of the business without being part of the business and I mean let's be honest like that's kind of like being on a free ride isn't it <laughs> It's been like, from my, and from my point of view, it is a real privilege. So, you know, to anyone who's listening on this, like, you know, I would say that if there's any time you want to reach out or advice or anything, I mean, like you've said, if I had an office, I'd have an open door policy sort of type thing, but yeah. I don't. I've got a DM, so I've got an open DM policy. So just get in touch and, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to have a chat. Let's just hang out. I'd love that. The, to, 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 to finish, like, the, the crazy thing that I feel that I've seen within the direction of like social media and food and stuff like that is people's critical thinking have been removed yeah. from an element. So to give you a sort of an example, I'll do a special on the menu and I, I will only be doing 15, 20 of those on that day just yeah. to make sure that you get it out and that's absolutely cool. And someone will see it on social media and they'll come and they'll be like, show you the photo. Yeah. And they'll be like, hey, I'm here for this. And you're like, oh, I'm really sorry, bro. It's like sold out. And their brain completely Explo and utterly yeah. explodes. And they're like, no, but I've come for this. And you're like, yeah, that's cool. But like, sorry, we sold out. Like you've come a little bit late, but we've got this, this, this. And it's like, they then also are like, but I've been told by this that I need to come here. And now I don't know where to go from here. Yeah. But it is also, I think part of it, it, there is definitely that. But I think part of it is also when you get your mind so set on something, and that's the power of social media, is the fact that it's like, you, it's, it gives people an expectation before they arrive, yeah. right? So there are people who will come to Bill or Beak without knowing anything about Bill or Beak, but they just know that there's this burger that they just want, and that is their reason for coming. So they didn't come for food, they came for the experience. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what, and I think the smart operators are the ones who understand that now. So it's a bit like, you know, so I, I, I don't think it's more, I don't think that's just someone being mindless. I think that's actually someone coming with it. I think that's social media doing its thing, which yeah. is just people coming with an expectation, which is also, you know, you know why people need to, which deliver. is why deliver. And also from a, uh, you know, people with a, a audience or people with an influencer's point of view, they need to also be very uh, mindful that they've got a responsibility. 
if people are making decisions based on what you're saying, that you kind of give the facts as they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, tell the truth. Because I feel a lot of people maybe potentially aren't, you know? It's like creating this lifestyle. It's like, hey, we went here, we did this, we did that, it was great, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, actually, they're putting a, they are putting the Mayfair filter on. They are the Mayfair filter. They are the Mayfair filter. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's like, I've gone what? from using the Mayfair filter to being the Mayfair filter, and that's only taken 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that, I think that's a nice circle. That's a right. nice circle. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure, man. You know it is. You know it is. So, I forgot to ask the person who has probably eaten at more restaurants than anyone in London his favourite spot. I had to give a follow-up call to get the juicy intel for you. Yeah, so um, basically, obviously, one of the main themes in which I wanted to run through the whole series was being able to um, understand people's favourite restaurant, um, favourite hidden gem, um, that can be in London or, or anywhere else in the world to be able to show. And obviously, you probably eat at more restaurants than any other human. You must be like top, like, point percentile in the world of people that go to places. So, like... It must. It must be like I'd be. I think a lot of people would be very excited to hear your answer. Yeah, I reckon. Well, you know, it, it's very kind of you to say. It's it's almost like a bit of a damning indictment on myself. <laughs> I always say to people though, I still eat three meals a day. I just choose my three meals very wisely. Very true. Very true. Uh, no, I reckon for me, my favorite my favorite restaurant in London has to be Angelina Dolston. I mean, I think that what Amar and Josh do over there is amazing. I mean, the attention to detail they put into their food. I mean, Josh is just, he's a, he's a maniac. He's, anything he touches, he has to put 110% into it. And he's an ex-Amelia who's like, you know, worked in River Cafe, so now runs a kitchen. He's also a full-time barista in his spare time. He's, the guy is just an absolute maniac. And Amar and him are like, childhood friends they've known each other since they were like babies Amar's just the nicest guy he wasn't from a hospitality background he was in property but he threw himself into it and now they're running this amazing restaurant in Dalston which does one of the best value tasting menus that I can think of this beautiful elliptic mix of like Italian slash Japanese food which is actually you know on on paper you'd be so You'd be like, how does that even work? But actually, they married they married up together so perfectly. It's just wonderful. I mean, so Angelina is definitely one, and they've just opened up a new one in Soho called Dai Chi, uh, which is more of like a skewers sort of type uh, vibe, but just as beautiful. So, if you want my top pick, uh, uh, basically it's a home run every time. Go to Angelina and Dalston, get their tasting menu, and you will not be disappointed. Love that. What a, what a great synopsis of all of it. And I think, yeah, describing the people, it makes you understand exactly um, why it does bang every single time as well, which is great. Right. And that's, um, what this, that's what this podcast is all about, man. It's all about the people. It's all about the people, exactly. Um, and if there is anyone that you could uh, take an and, and share that experience with, is there anyone in the world in which you would love to do that with? You know what? It's, it's funny. Like I didn't like him when he was a player, but having seen, um, having seen his sort of work post his untimely death Kobe Bryant was probably the guy who yeah. I would just love to sit down and just talk to I mean at the time I mean he 
he's one of those players. He was so marmite when he was alive. Like his sort of his drive and his sort of mentality was just so intense and sometimes so controversial. But when you and during the later point in his career, when he started to open up and became a lot softer, and you started to understand where the drive came from and what it took to be the next level. It's just fascinating, and it just you know just sitting there and thinking, just hearing him talk and understanding his mental attitude to life. Yeah, I mean, if you want if you want anyone who's inspirational, then I highly recommend touching base with uh, Kobe Bryant's sort of mamba mentality per se, and you just, you begin to understand what it takes to to really get the best out of yourself. Yeah, I think yeah, it's I, I I've seen some videos of you know him basically saying that in the summers he would write a contract to himself in which he had to like stick by and like he would then refer back to the contract and it's like you know in his mind he's be like yeah but maybe I don't want to do it and he's like no this is a contract that you set out at the beginning of the summer and this is what you're going to do and like I think there was another clip as well which I've seen when he was like you know my competitors were getting up at six and getting to the gym at six and he's like so I got a fit and he's like so that meant I got in an extra session every day and if I did that every day for a year it meant that I was one year ahead and like the, the kind of thing and you're like okay so that's what it is <laughs> that's how yeah. you get there that's the video that stuck with me the most I mean it's the fact that it's like at some point talent will only get you so far right yeah and I think part of that kind of I kind of resonate with because if you think about where sort of my Instagram has sort of growing and how i've sort of grown into the industry i was never i'm never i'm not more talented anyone else and i I, i'm not doing anything different to anyone else the difference is that i was just militant with it and i and i and and we'd call it ocd or whatever it is that makes you something different it was just the time that i put in i mean you want to talk about Mark and Glab was 10,000 hours. I've done my 10,000 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of, I, I resonate with that sort of mentality. I was just working harder and it's just sort of that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's that sort of, you know, it's good to know that, you know, what I, what, what I've been doing, it, it's some sort of validation, I suppose, but certainly, you know, it, it, there's still more work to be done and you know, I'm, I'm here for it. Love that. Thank you so much. Honestly, that was really, really lovely. I think that was great. And I think it's going to slot in absolutely amazingly to everything. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Service Please. If you could tell one other person about this podcast or even use their phone to like, follow and share, it will be much appreciated. You can also go one step further and become a patron of the podcast via www.serviceplease.io. Any monthly contributions will help amplify the voices of the hospitality and wider food industry, enabling more people to understand the innovations and daily struggles of one of the most dynamic sectors, and of course, the tastiest.